and welcome back to Boots to Balls here on the Boot Sports Network. We've been away for a while, and now we're ready to return with great off-season coverage for you all here on episode 21. We've made a few format changes here, and things are going to look a little bit different going into these off-season episodes. I'll be here hosting the show, as you know and are familiar with, and you'll have, of course, producer Brett in the background making sure everything sounds great, and if you can't tell, we've made a few auto and visual improvements. So, with that said... This episode is going to largely revolve around, of course, the overwhelming changes that we've seen in both the Saints and Tigers coaching staffs. But we can't leave that there without mentioning also what that means for some of the members of this staff and how we might be one of the first to mention great breaking news, and we're looking forward to sharing it, if that's possible, tonight with Jari Evans' Hall of Fame announcement. Not only that, we'll talk more about the overall impacts of the changes to the coaching staffs, the upcoming implications, what it means now that all of these rosters and for the most part staffs are in place going into free agency in the NFL and transfer portal window coming up in April for the NCAA athletes. First of all, we'll get back to our main topic of today, which we're going to start with the LSU Tigers and their coaching changes that they've made. These are what we believe going to be pretty impactful going into this upcoming season. You're looking at a whole new realm of college football with the news coming out that the Big Ten and the SEC have decided to form an alliance, form a joint uh, partnership, as they call it in actuality, to better regulate what college football is and what it will become. Now, this is obviously going to impact LSU as well as other schools beyond that, particularly when we get to our lower level division teams. What does it mean as we go with this new college football playoff format with 12 teams involved? And a good chance if any of our Louisiana teams in the group of five win their conference and go undefeated, they'll be right there possibly playing in Tiger Stadium. It's a crazy proposition to understand. But of course, if the Tigers want to make it back to the college football players for the first time since 2019, they're going to have to make the moves to get from 10 wins a year to what we believe might even be requiring 11, even in this new format, with the consolidation of the SEC and Big Ten. So we take a look at what they've done. Some changes were made overall, primarily on defense, but we're going to look at offense first a unit that was absolutely lethal at any point throughout the year and had the ability to make precision movements all across the field at any time, which gave Jaden Daniels, of course, his Heisman Trophy. Now, the man who led Jaden in his campaign, Joe Sloan, the quarterback's coach, has now been promoted to the offensive coordinator role, which he will share with Cortez Hankton. Now, this is something of an intentional move because you have Cortez Hankton with the strongest connection to Louisiana on that offensive roster besides lineman coach Brad Davis. This now creates a unique environment where your recruiting is assured from both sides of the ball because every single coach that Brian Kelly has put on this staff has an affiliation to the state of Louisiana, if not LSU itself. And this creates one of the more unique coaching staff trees of anything in the country. You're not going to see this in places now like Alabama with Coach DeBoer, where it's a mix and hodgepodge of, oh, he came from here, they come from there. Everybody on this LSU coaching staff came from Louisiana at one point in their life, and they've been impacted by the state. And that's what we kind of like to say here on the Boot Sports Network. We're all from here. We've been impacted in some way, and we can give you the news the best way. But that's a little bit about us. Talking a little bit further you overall improve the seniority and the impact of these coaches. When you look at what 
is now a combination of some of the best coaches from the past three coaching eras, be it Saban, Miles, Ogeron, and Kelly, with the return of Corey Raymond, Frank Wilson continuing to run his offensive uh, running back division, and now implicate and implements from Bo Davis, who came over from Texas all the way back from the Saban era whenever he first came to LSU. These joined figures have now really changed the strategy, I believe, if we look at it just purely on intent. Blake Baker, who is now the defensive coordinator, we talked about that earlier when the hire was made, went out and got some guys who really can control the rest of his unit. Particularly when you look at a coach like Corey Raymond, We've mentioned him once already, and we're going to continue to it many times throughout the show. This is the man who almost single-handedly orchestrated the DBU movement, which LSU prided itself on throughout the Miles and Ogeron eras, created many of the Grant Delpits and the Jamal Adams and these other just all-American and NFL all-pro level players, which we came to know and love. Now, Corey Raymond, going back into the secondary coach, is going to be probably one of the most critical changes that was made over the offseason. And many people aren't talking about it for what it actually is. The secondary was, by statistical category, the weakest unit for the LSU Tigers in 2022-2023. Excuse me, 2023-2024. And looking at what you could gain if you're able to get the right guys, not only through the in-house development, which already started last year inadvertently with the amount of freshmen and younger players that had to step up and play. You're now looking at being able to go into this transfer portal starting on April 15th and absolutely just create a sort of all-star unit of the best talent available, which is going to be absolutely pivotal when we talk about changing over from a defense that was at best porous and at most, just not there. There were many moments, and you know we all remember them, be it the Ole Miss game where you're allowing 50 points scored on you from a team that was never able to get up in those categories again throughout the rest of the year, and to see what changes can be made to not maybe reinvent what was there, but to retool it to where it's able to be supported by an improved defensive line, to be able to be supported by a reformed special teams that now can maybe focus a little bit more on assuring that you're using your talents in the special teams game to create better field position so your defense can more effectively manage and not have to just assume let's hold them at least 70 yards and maybe we get a field goal instead of a touchdown. It's going to change the entire mindset. But that was only part, I think, of what Blake Baker was doing whenever he went out and got some of these guys. You look at someone like Kevin Peoples. To have a coach which is designated for edge rushers shows what kind of format we might be looking at with this team. You're going to see a lot more pressure than we saw last year. You have Bo Davis who's going to go overall with the defensive line. So if edge rushers is now Kevin Peebles, we can assume that that's going to be part of the linebacker unit as well. And there is no designated linebackers coach, I should mention, which therefore I believe tips the hat fully what we're looking at here. You're going to see a blitz very much heavy defense, one that is not going to shy away from sending pressure whenever the opportunity is available, which was another thing that a lot of fans at some points of the year, obviously it was a little bit different at um, 
moments wherever you had such deficiencies on the line. But when you saw the impact of someone like a Makai Wingo once he came back from that injury and reestablished seniority and overall uh, just calmness on the defensive line, what they were able to do with that. And you saw it in that Wisconsin game where you were able to shut down after you went and got a game at the time, uh, leading touchdown at the end with Garrett Nussmeyer. And that's the system that is going to be in play going into this upcoming year. And I think that's something that not only can the Tigers uh, use to their advantage, but it's a system that if Brian Kelly is able to perfect it, and he's able to return LSU to the defensive powerhouse while not losing the offensive just malleable unit that he had where you could do anything with that thing and it was going to absolutely serve its purpose. It's going to be different with Garrett Nussmeyer. You're losing a Heisman quarterback. We saw this with the Joe Burrow transition over to Miles Brennan and then eventually not Miles Brennan, be it, you know, one of the many different quarterbacks that came through, including Garrett Nussmeyer in the immediate aftermath of Joe Burrow. This is where it's going to make sort of just a overall change of the mindset of the program because you're no longer competing to get in the SEC title game. You have to compete for the 12. It is less important to get in that top two of the SEC. All you're doing is guaranteeing yourself a buy. But at the end of the day, if you're particularly in the top eight and that means that you're going to get to host a game in Tiger Stadium, you'd like your chances in that situation. So I don't think the Tigers necessarily are feeling as though it's, you know, I have to be top three guaranteed or I can be, for all lack of better words, Florida stated out of here at the four seed. The 12-team playoff allows the structure and the mindset of this team to focus very much on development, which is one thing that Brian Kelly specializes in and I believe at times has over-prioritized to winning. But when that development can lead you to winning without the immense pressure of one loss and you're out, it changes the entire game and what we're talking about here. So to move on real quick, as we transition over to, you know, we're talking a little bit more about players getting ready to go to the next level and all this. We're looking at Jaden Daniels. We're looking at, you know, some of the other players that were at the Senior Bowl here last week. Let's talk a moment here about the Boot Sports Network and how we're getting ready to go to another level. We, of course, want to thank you for those of you who stuck around and joined us while we were away from making weekly content. It has been such a pleasure to see all the interaction on our continued post across all social media platforms and here, of course, on YouTube where you're most familiar with us as well as your audio platforms. We appreciate your support, and we once again ask you to continue to follow, share the program. We're seeing some really influential and high-influence people get to know us here in the past couple of weeks, and we've been so excited about that. It has truly been uh, motivating and captivating as we've transitioned into this new era here on the Boot Sports Network, and we thank you so much for your support. Again, follow, share. We're across everywhere. Meta, that's Facebook and Instagram, X, formerly Twitter, TikTok, and the big boy, YouTube, here, where we spend all of our long, short, and medium content to you here on the Boot Sports Network. We thank you so much. Now, talking about the NFL, you have some players who are getting ready to go. And we're going to talk about the Reese Senior Bowl. That took place here last week. And this was a couple different schools that got to participate from the state of Louisiana. So we're going to talk about everybody real quick. We know that it's not necessarily the LSU players who got even the most play in this game, but it's, it's such an important part of the draft process and one of the first aspects we get to see in that. So let's talk, of course, about 
Louisiana's quarterback who did attend um, their invite, which was Eric, excuse me, Michael Pratt out of Tulane. And he had a pretty good day. I'm not going to say it was his best day ever. He got to go out there. He not only had rushing opportunities, but he also threw the ball, of course, where he went four for 10 for 45 yards with a long pass of 15 yards, while also hitting the ground twice for seven yards of gain. Now, I think this is truly going to be where he needs to shine in this pre-draft timeline where we see these college athletes getting ready to go pro. Michael Pratt proved that he can lead a team, and he proved that he has the skill set to compete at a high level. Although when you're comparing him to some of the other higher-level players that were here at this game, you're talking about Joe Milton's, you're talking about some of the other guys like a Bo Nix or a Sam Hartman. You know, where does he shake out in that relation? I think you're looking at someone who is going to have to wow a team. And that's going to be seen at the Combine. That's going to be seen in player interviews. And that's going to be seen at Pro Day. So he also was able to take his wide receiver with him. That's Jaquan Jackson. And he had a okay showing. He had one catch for four yards, just sort of here, I'm here, you know, hi guys, let me go through the process, let me go through the interviews. The scouting at the at the Senior Bowl is one of the best parts about it. But of course, we'll also transition here to give you an update on where the Tigers stood, and we had Justin Jefferson, that's right, Justin, no, I'm sorry, Jordan Jefferson. You get them all confused, because it's not even one of the brothers this time. It is Jordan Jefferson, the defensive player for your Tigers here. He played in the Senior Bowl, got one tackle total, had a reasonable showing, nothing wrong with that at all. And then, of course, you had uh, Trey Turner there on the line, and, you know, reasonable showing as well. But as we talk about this, we talk about someone like Jaden Daniels, who's gone as high as two in mock drafts right now. Transitioning from the college season out to the NFL outlook is going to be such a unique aspect for someone like Jaden Daniels, because this is someone who even, you know, with two games left to go, was still being talked about as a, oh, he might get picked up in the first all the way to the number two overall pick. It's not out of the question that if somebody fell in love with him at the combine or at pro day, he could go number one. You know, it's not impossible to think that, you know, particularly if the Bears want to move the pick and they say Justin Fields is our guy and we can do something better if we get more firepower for him. You know, I really am thinking it's possible someone could say, hey, I want Jay Daniels and I'm going to go and give what it takes to get him. And that's going to be such a unique thing as we move closer and closer to the draft process. But speaking of those, of course, who were at the Reese's Senior Bowl, that is the New Orleans Saints. And they have also been making some pretty big staff changes in the past couple months here. So first and foremost was the removal of longtime offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael, who, while under the Peyton administration was sort of more of just a play-calling guru, has now transitioned to, under the Allen administration, the actual offensive play-caller. And during this year, of course, we saw that maybe those skills that were once so sharp with Drew Brees and the absolute just accompaniment that he had has now dulled, potentially, you would say. And the Saints decided that it was time to go in a different direction. Now, it is not fully confirmed because the man Clint Kubiak himself still has a game left to play, one of just two teams that is, and he is the passing game coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. 
So to see the direction that was taken there, you also had the Saints offensive line coach who is no longer going to be with the team going into next year. It appears that the retool of the offense has been the selection that's going to be chosen. Dennis Allen is safe going into the next year, and that's going to be a unique opportunity for the Saints to retool, but the Saints to also get their money's worth, get what currently has them in an $80 million cap hole. It is going to be absolutely critical that the Saints are utilizing what could be the end of a window. Now, we look across professional sports, and I look to one of my teams that I enjoy very much, the Houston Astros. And their GM recently, after signing Jose Altuve to a long-term extension, gave the absolutely inspiring quote that the window will never close as long as I'm here. And I think that's what Mickey Loomis and the Saints have been thinking for quite some time now, that as long as we're here and as long as we can still do the cat magic we do, the window will never close. And that hasn't quite held out to be true, but at the same time, the Saints had a division lead for just a moment there at the end of that game, and they were right there tied with the Bucks for the playoffs. So on a winning season where you gained two wins over the last year, it's hard to say there's no chance for improvement. If you go to 10 and seven next year, 11 and six, if you're feeling absolutely lucky, what's to say you can't make a playoff game. You can't win a playoff game and that you can't maybe cause trouble and go deeper than that. Maybe something like the bucks did and to get into the divisional round. That's sort of where this fan base is torn so bad because you want to be challenging for the Super Bowl, not to barely scrape out a division championship. At this time, you have to still consider the Saints the leader of the NFC South and the absolute forefront runners at this time, although the window is not as open as it once was. Baker, Me Baker Mayfield, assuming that the Bucks re-sign him, is still a force to be reckoned with down there in Tampa. And Mike Evans, assuming he's re-signed, although it may look as though Tampa's trying to go in a different direction there, there's nothing stopping them from taking another leap. If that team is put back together, which is the big discussion down there, you know, is this something we want to dump money into? Is this something we want to try and make work? If it's chosen that Tampa goes that route and the Saints go that route, you're going to have another retooling. Atlanta has only gotten stronger. And Carolina right now is the biggest question mark, but we don't think that they're necessarily getting close to challenging, so we'll leave them out of this conversation for what it is. You're going to have Atlanta, who's going to be an improved team. You're going to have Tampa Bay, who's either going to choose to let this golden era go and retool for younger and more cap-efficient players. And then you have the Saints, who's going to hold the window open no matter how many sticks they got to throw in there and try and dive through it. So the changes that Dennis Allen has gone with, along with Mickey Loomis, Gail Benson, to give himself another year, to give Derek Carr a chance to win the fan base and show that the last few games that they had together were no fluke, but actually a potential of what could be. I think if you're seeing the change, if you're seeing results, Clint Kubiak ran twice as many plays in motion than Pete Carmichael did last year. Clint Kubiak has turned Brock Purdy, mystery relevant, into what many consider one of the top 10 potential quarterbacks for the next five years on many teams. There is no telling what could come from a reborn, a, re, a new offensive mind. Of course, the son of Gary Kubiak, 
Super Bowl winning coach. He comes from good pedigree. But at the same time, a fresh take on the offense in New Orleans could be what you use with pieces like a Alvin Kamara and a Jamal Williams and Chris Olave. And who knows, you go out, you add a Malik Neighbors, you add a Brian Thomas Jr. if one of those are still sitting there. And you turn Derek Carr into not Drew Brees, but more than viable Derek Carr. Because that's about where his ceiling is, is getting back to his 13-3 and playoff year. We had Devontae Adams and everything was going good over there in Oakland at the time. If you can get back to that Derek Carr where he's throwing for maybe 4,200 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and that's what is going to be the face of the team. And I say these inflated numbers, you might say, well, you know, it wasn't really close to that last year. Well, Taysom took some of those plays away from Derek, if we're being frank here. And Taysom was Pete Carmichael's guy. And the team out in Denver is already making waves that they could try and go in that direction in. Who's to say they don't? I, I think Sean Payton, if you look at Taysom Hill and you say, would the Saints be willing to give me a third for that guy? Or would I be willing to give the Saints a third for that guy? It would be in the Saints' best effort to continue to pile draft stock and at least get some younger players here on contract and hope that they can repeat a 2006 or a 2017 draft class and somehow that throws them up into an 11-win year. That's what getting rid of Taysom Hill could do for the New Orleans Saints. Time will tell if they choose to go that route, though. Mickey Loomis does have an affinity for the man, and I can't blame him. He's done great things for the fan base and got us through some rather darker years. But you have other players on this offensive coaching staff that I think are going to make some moves. We'll see if Jari Evans stays, of course. We are waiting to see if he will be inducted into the college football, excuse me, Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, if his name will be called here at the NFL Honors Ceremony. We're keeping an eye on that there. And if you have that level of a player on your coaching staff, and maybe he takes over the offensive line, and he's certainly more than capable of doing it, although very young as far as a coach goes, I think this team is perfectly in position to gain two to three wins next year and be a real force in the NFC South. But they have to make the right moves if they're going to get there. And... We're going to take a quick change here. We're going to talk about something that I think we've all been asking, and that is we didn't preview basketball. We didn't preview baseball, which starts in one week, or any of the other sports here in Louisiana. So if you've been listening so far, you say, well, this is, this is good. This is what I missed. I missed Boots the Balls. And the best part of Boots the Balls, we believe here, was football coverage. And we've decided as a network that it is best for us to give Boots to Balls the full impact that we believe it can make on the Louisiana football scene. So from this episode going forward, Boots to Balls is an exclusive football program where we look to outkick the football coverage in the state of Louisiana. We're still going to be covering some of the smaller teams across the state, go down as far low as we need to. We'll go all the way down to an eighth grade field if there's a prospect with that kind of talent. But our focus is to make sure that we can provide you, the viewer, be you're in the state, out of the state, from the state, used to be in the state, you stopped in for five minutes, had a cup of coffee and some beignets, and you say, man, I kind of like Louisiana. Well, we want to be here for you. So as we continue through our off-season off -season coverage, LSU Tigers, New Orleans Saints, and anything else that we deem necessary to absolutely give you the latest updates on. But you'll not only get them here, Please keep up with our short-form media, both in YouTube Shorts, Instagram Reels, and TikTok. 
where we're sharing all the latest information we can to you to keep you updated as we outkick Louisiana football coverage. And we continue now with what could be one of the most interesting parts of the offseason so far. It's Super Bowl weekend, and in one year, the party's coming to New Orleans. For many, that is a unique opportunity to get to see different things that you've never seen the state of Louisiana do, to get to see the Superdome put at its very best for the nation. And right now, the renovations are being completed in the Caesar Superdome, and we're getting to see what the final version of it's going to look like, and you're going to see that with the Saints as they open up the 24 season in just about six months from now. And Derek Carr is going to run out on that field for preseason game, whatever it might be, and going to have to win back the fan base because we saw it happen with Tampa Bay. We saw it happen with Los Angeles. You can win the Super Bowl in your home stadium. There's no longer an implied impossibility to it. It is very much possible, and the script writers are actively allowing it. Just joking for those listening. We know your job is secret. If the Saints had the opportunity to play in the Super Bowl in the state of Louisiana, in that dome, and you know, rewrite a lot of stories that have come out over the past, let's even talk 15 years since the last one, to be able to rewrite what it means to be able to win, not only just with a Hall of Famer like Drew Brees, but to show that the organization is competent more than ever and is truly a force to be reckoned with in the NFL, get that second Super Bowl and put yourself into a rare class of teams that are able to do it under multiple regimes, it would add an immense set sentiment of not only pride, but sort of an earned respect that oftentimes the Saints still don't get after being what is essentially the wins leader of the NFL for the past few seasons, if you include the Drew Brees years, his last couple ones, Saints lead the NFL in wins. Now, they've been overtaken by teams like Kansas City in the past extremely recent years, two to three, but the organization is to be respected, and the fan base wants that respect. That's what was so much of the anger during the past few years, I believe, is that, you know, we still have all the pieces. It still feels like we're in that championship push. And it's just being kind of wasted. You need to see the front office say, and just sort of swallow the pill and all at one time, we have to take the Band-Aid off. We have to make the changes to get better. Because if you lose this fan base and you lose that championship edge, you're easily able to relapse into this sort of just darker place where your fans are somewhat interested, but you know that you're not that far off. Or you get into a curse situation like Buffalo where, once again, even though you have all the pieces in place, you just can't get quite over the hump. It's been almost 15 years now since that night in Miami, and the Saints fan base is ready to see another winner. And they're ready to see it immediately. It's not going to be another two, three years you get to say, oh, we're almost there. We just need one more piece. You got to go get it in this draft, and you have a reasonable pick to maybe move up and get that guy. Right now, you've seen projections where the Saints are taking LSU wide receiver Brian Thomas. That's being somewhat honed in on. But of course, we never know until the chips start to fall at the draft. If they want to capture the fan base, if they want to exhilarate it, it would be in their best interest to go and get potentially a local guy. 
it would be in their best interest to see if it's possible to round out your offense and give it that kick to get over the hump. And when you have a coach like Clint Kubiak coming in to lead your offense, you have to take the opportunity to say, hey, I have something unique. I have someone who can use a certain set of assets and skills. And that's when you have to give Clint Kubiak his resources and go get him that offensive weapon in the draft. Use that first round pick. Move up if necessary and secure a chance for this team to be a winner again. It's going to take more than a 10-win season to get the Saints fan base in there. We have to be competing deep into January where it's looking like there's a chance when it comes up to NFC Championship weekend that you're going to be right there. That's all that we ask. Even if you were in the game and you fell short, that's okay. Just be there at NFC Championship weekend and give the opportunity for New Orleans to be back in the Super Bowl. In the Dome next year in January 20, February 2025. Looking forward to it so much. But this, of course, has been an amazing episode here of Boots to Balls. We've enjoyed, like we said, talking with you all as we've gone through our transition here, getting out of last season's football coverage, starting our off-season coverage, but we're also about to start something else. And we're going to announce it to you here. It's not going to be in its full announcement. You can head over to our social medias after. You'll see that this weekend as we announce the full upcoming episode, and that's going to be of our brand-new basketball and baseball show. So with college baseball starting February 16th, largely across the state of Louisiana, the Pelicans are currently in sixth place leading the Southwest Division. It's time for us to give that the coverage that it deserves and not just a footnote at the end of an episode. So we're going to have a standalone show hosted by me every week in this offseason to get you there, football offseason that is, to get you the latest news as Paul, excuse me, <laughs> Jay Johnson and his Tigers, Beth Tarina and her Tigers, Willie Green and the Pelicans all have the chance to compete deep into their playoffs, respectively. We want to give the opportunity for the McNeese softball team, who's currently projected to win the Southland, the Nichols baseball team, who is projected to win the Southland, the SWAC and the amazing baseball they play down there at Southern and Grambling to get a chance. And of course, we're going to talk about other teams that you haven't gotten to hear in the football version of this podcast because you don't get to hear about UNO very much because they don't feel a football team. You don't get to hear about some of the other great stories coming out of the NAIA levels with LSU Shreveport, who's currently in the top five in the nation. You also have all these other programs that are just out there, and we're so excited to bring them all to you. You'll be looking for the full announcement of that coming up this upcoming week as we announce the name and it'll be once again here on the Boot Sports Network, and we look forward to sharing that with you. Now, this episode of Boots to Balls was, of course, in partnership with all of you, the fans. It's been a moment. We're glad that you waited for this one, and we're so thankful, and we're ready to share with you what we have coming up. If you want to hear about a team, we'll go, and we'll cover your team. It's completely up to you, the fans, and that's what we love doing it for. So, on behalf of myself, producer Brett, and everybody who's made Boots to Balls what it is, we thank you and we look forward to hearing from you in the comments and on the next episode of Boots to Balls.
Boots to Balls is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not render legal or financial advice. Remember to bet responsibly. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with problem gambling, reach out to your local gambling helpline.